All right, y'all, welcome to our new podcast. Uh, this is going to be the Black Rewatchable. Yeah, 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 yeah. I definitely wanted to first and foremost shout out the Rewatchables, which actually inspired this podcast. Uh, my brother put me onto it. As you all know, I'm a huge movie fan, so listen to a movie podcast. And the Rewatchables is a great podcast. If you haven't listened to it, check it out on all your streaming, all your, all on your streaming platforms there we go that's what i was looking for shout out to the ringer shout out to the ringer shout out to bill simmons and shay and everybody that does the rewatchables it's such a great show however kind of found a little uh caveat to how great the rewatchables is as good a show as it is there are some movies that i know for a fact they will not cover so the black rewatchables was born No way we can do any kind of show about black movies without starting with one of the greatest black movies of all time and so straight fire in honor of the black rewatchables first episode we're doing a black classic definition of classic eddie murphy's coming to america sure got one second Before we get started, first and foremost, we have to do a commercial for our paid sponsor. Our sponsor for this episode is Kajor Boutique. Kajor, that's C-A-Y-J-O-R Boutique. Kajor Boutique is a specialty women's clothing store for plus size ladies. Oh, shout out. Kajor Boutique specifically is owned and operated by the fantastic Miss Blending Mason. Yes, ma'am. She does a fantastic job. She specifically looks for things to sell for ladies of plus size that are not only fashionable, but affordable. Now, I personally own two of her dresses, and I kid you not, every single time I wear them, I get nothing but compliments. Ladies, you know that sometimes it's a little hard out here if you're a little bit heavier, if you're a thick girl, but you can't really find things that are fashionable. Sometimes they look like old grandma clothes and they're not really age appropriate or whatever. But if you're looking for something that makes you look good, you stepping out on the town with your girls or your man and you want to look good, hit up Kajor Boutique. That is C-A-Y-J-O-R.com. So... To get started, I don't even, you know, usually I guess in the rewatch they always do kind of like a plot review. I don't even think that's necessary for this movie. Like, if you're listening to this podcast, you already know. You already know what the movie's about. But, maybe we'll just, we'll scoot through. We'll do an extremely, extremely bare bones version of plot review. Indeed. So, Prince of King who's basically been pampered his entire life, is about to be wed in an arranged marriage by his parents, and he decides that he don't want to do that. Nah. So, he asks his dad if he can, you know, sow his royal oats, as they say, or as the dad says, at least. <laughs> and him and his boy, Semi, decide to go to America. More importantly, they decide to go to Queens, to look for Akeem's queen. 
upon getting to Queens after some searching that was unsuccessful, they stumble upon character played by was it Sherry? Sherry. Sherry. Sherry Headley, otherwise known as Miss Lisa McDowell. <laughs> Only known as Miss Lisa McDowell. Yes. Yeah, I don't. Can we name any other Sherry Headley? Nah. Shout out to Sherry Headley. Uh, nevertheless, uh, she has a dickhead boyfriend. Can I say dickhead? Sure. A dickhead boyfriend, played by Eric LaSalle, who's not representing light skinned niggas <laughs> <laughs> in a very proper way. Which we found upon. Yes, we will get it to Eric Lucell later. Nevertheless, uh, after that falls apart, King swoops in. Slides into the DMs. Slides into the DMs in 1988. How they do it in 1988. They start dating. They fall in love. Eventually, his Ray shows up to America. And her pop, his pop says some foul stuff to her. She runs off. She, he tries to find her. It doesn't work out. He thinks it's over. And then right when he's about to get married, boom, it's Lisa McDowell in the movie. In the movie. So, that's being said, let's get into some of what we like to call the categories. I have to start with probably the biggest one, which is the most rewatchable scene. This movie has been quoted and quoted and quoted and this is a part this i feel like this movie is part of black conversation like there are just things that happen in this movie that you can say to somebody else and they know exactly what you're talking about without context so what what would you say are some of the nominees for most rewatchable scene all right all right so my strongest nominee this is this is the case i'm pushing i will put others forth but to me the most rewatchable scene is uh, the Black Awareness pageant. <laughs> Completely. There's just so many. There's so many. Between the pastor, Randy Watson, I thought it was trash. Absolutely. There's, there's a lot that in that scene. That is my strongest contender. Uh, off top. You know what's funny? Rewatching it this time though, which I think is just funny in general. It, not funny in general, was actually interesting in general, is that they were just having a black awareness rally, period. In the middle of New York City. In the middle of New York City, in the middle of winter. They're like, and the, the one says in Black Awareness Week, they had a whole week devoted to just being black. I don't know, I'm trying to figure out what is black awareness in a room full of black people. <laughs> were they not aware that they were black? Shouldn't black awareness be for other people? <laughs> There should be some other ethnicities invited uh, uh, to the festivities. I mean, it's New York. They could have at least got some Latinos in there. I'm For real. I, I didn't, some there Asians. Was, there wasn't nothing but niggas in there. For real. But, yeah, I, that, I had a big, I had a huge star beside that. That's definitely in, in the in the contention. My, my nominee, other than the Black Awareness Rally, has to be the entire scene of Akeem meeting Vanessa Bell Calloway. The whole... <laughs> The whole scene from the time they go into the palace when the black guy is selling Akeem t-shirts <laughs> outside of an event because you notice how we do. World wedding t-shirts. World wedding t-shirts all the way until King Joffrey walks in and says, you can go now. Good night. <laughs> That's a very strong contender. Um, 
I just I can re I can re and just again rewatching it this time for the bazillionth time. To me, one of the things that stands out so much, we get so excited when we see black excellence. And I feel like both of those scenes are black excellence in its own way. The black awareness scene being more of a, a comedic representation of American black excellence because we all know that person that is like all about religion and all about Jesus and all these other things and somebody that's trying to start their singing slash rap career that's not really good and somebody trying to collect money for something that you you know need to put money towards somebody trying to cash app or go fund me or whatever all those things are like classic black aspects but that whole scene of the initial palace scene of him meeting his bride to be and as you corrected me Paula Abdul's choreographed dance scene which I thought was Debbie Allen shout out to Debbie Allen but it wasn't her it was Paula right. Abdul shout out Paula Abdul so shout out super shout out to Paula Abdul because those dancers killed that scene and it's just it's so good it's so good uh do we have any other nominees I mean between the to me it's one of those two but uh if you have any other nominees for most rewatchable scene please get at us let us know what you think, but for me, it's the Black Awareness pageant for Dayel. It's the uh, the wedding, the initial wedding scene. Bark like a dog. <laughs> Eddie Murphy breaking the fourth wall, staring at the camera like, oh ha. Oh, I said Queen to be with the clenched fist, head thrown back, hitting all the soprano notes. So you shouldn't be worried about AIDS right now. AIDS is still real fat. No shout out to AIDS. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to the Winger and the Rewatchables podcast, but they 
they call it half inter internet research and according to my internet research this is the first film Cuba Gooding Jr. ever appeared in there you go so him sitting in the chair with that grin getting his uh, jerry curl snipped this is the first time we've ever seen Cuba Gooding Jr. And to my immediate off the top of my head knowledge is the only Oscar winner in that movie. Has no lines. Facts. <laughs> how does James Earl Jones not have an Oscar? Dude? Listen, how do how does many people in that movie not have an Oscar? But that's that's for another conversation. Eddie Murphy would have had one. Eddie Murphy should have had one. James Earl Jones should have had one. And to me, just purely on legacy. My next nominee, matter of fact, for cameos, Mr. Samuel O. Jackson should have one by now. Is he one of the greatest actors ever? No. But if they're going to give Cicely Tyson one, James o Samuel L. Jackson should have one. Purely on legacy. Did they have like a Lifetime Achievement yep. Oscar? That's what Cicely Tyson got. Okay. Yeah, that... yeah he's going to get a Lifetime Achievement because he's a legend. Well, and... If we're doing cameos, that's obviously mine. <laughs> As we noted during the rewatching of this movie, Samuel L. Jackson is the GOAT when it comes to saying the F word. Uh, unmatched. Unmatched. No one else says it funnier than him. I mean, soon as he turned around, like, what the f***? Like, <laughs> immediately funny. Like, it's, he's the oh, GOAT. Always funny. All hail Samuel Jackson when it comes to saying curse words. My only, my, my only third nominee for cameos, and just because I think it's a really great Easter egg, is the two guys from Trading Places. The two white guys that were uh, yes. bums in the movie and he gives them the money on the way to the date with Lisa. And it's a really great Easter egg for Eddie Murphy fans and him just being so dominant in the 80s that he knew that the majority of the people that were coming to see Coming to America had already seen Trading Places. Shout out to Trading Places. It is legit one of my absolute favorite Eddie Murphy movies after Broomerang, of course. I love Trading Places. It's so good. And so to for him to throw that into coming to America knowing knowing full well that his audience had just seen Trading Places, such a great Easter egg. Well, Trading Places, according to my research, came out in 83. So it was about five years. Yeah. But. But, I mean, still, I mean, they everyone who watched that movie, most people, I would say, yes. watching that movie knows exactly what that reference is why they're poor, why it's funny, who these white guys are, all those things. So it's a really great game. Randolph! <laughs> Randolph! I'm not speaking to you, Mortimer. <laughs> Look. <laughs> so who do you think is winning the uh, cameo award? Well, he's already said it. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm Sam Jackson. Team Samuel I'm, I'm Samuel Jackson in, in, in any, for, any form. There. It's, all, it's so funny. It's so good. All right. Next character. So, uh, next category for me is just kind of a kind of a think piece. I didn't even really write any options down, but this next category is called the Aunt Viv casting couch. Who mm. would you replace if you were going to replace somebody in this movie? Or actually, we had talked earlier about who they tried to replace Eddie Murphy with in the TV failure. Yeah. So, again, this is not even internet research. This is a fact, actually, but I did not know this. But they did attempt to make a TV show of this movie, and there was a pilot, and it actually aired the pilot on CBS. Terrible. Um, they actually had Oha in it. He he played he played himself, but Akeem was played by none other than Tommy Davidson. 
I, I just really want to... Okay, first of all, CBS. Let's <laughs> <laughs> start there. How did CBS greenlight a TV show based on a rated R black movie? Who did that? I'm trying to figure... Like, I, I, don't, I went alive in the 70s, but in my lifetime, there have been absolutely zero black shows on CBS worth watching. Oh my God. Um, I know they brought back Bill Cosby at some point when he had his second show. I didn't nobody watch that. I can't. And I think Cedric the Entertainer has a show on there now. But yeah. uh, there's no there's no Martins, no Fresh Princes, no Living Singles. Nah. No, no uh, Blackish, even out of the newer stuff. Like I can't name one mostly black classic show on CBS in my lifetime. So for them to get their hands on this probably is why it was unsuccessful. And to think that Tommy Davidson oh. could even remotely replace Eddie Murphy. That, 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 that is literally apples and oranges. This is no disrespect to Tommy Davidson. This is no disrespect to Tommy Davidson. However. He's too goofy to play that character. He's too goofy. You gotta have the swag. Akeem had swag. He was a prince. He was educated. He was smart. He wasn't all, all like goofy like Tommy Davidson is. Like that. That in no way did that make any sense. Like I want to know how many people they called first before they called Tommy Davidson and he said yes. I mean, uh, I can't even. The only two movies that I really liked Tommy Davidson in was was Booty Call, Black Dynamite, and Black Dynamite, which will be a future Black Your Watchables podcast. You know, him as Cream Corn was pretty funny. <laughs> he was funny. That's so good. But uh, other than that, I can't name any other. I, Iconic Tommy Davidson moments. Nah, that and him his, his Sammy Davis impression was pretty good. Yeah, yeah. But uh, he is not Eddie Murphy. Uh, no, no disrespect. One of the things I will say about casting, though, I think it was interesting that they went with a pretty unknown and, and still fairly unknown for the quote unquote love interest. I mean, Sherry Headley lives off of this movie still I mean she didn't really do anything after this or before this that I know that you wouldn't immediately be like oh that's Sherry Headley I mean she's been in some things you've seen her here and there but I'm surprised there wasn't a bigger female lead in this movie especially since I mean Eddie Murphy is literally the top of his game in this movie I would think that somebody else more famous would have taken her place I mean according to Wikipedia which is Never wrong. Um, the most she's done, she was in The Preacher's Wife in 96. Johnson Family Vacation, 2004. Uh, she was on All, All My Children in the 90s. And then she was on uh, 413 Hope Street in the late 90s when she won an NAACP Image Award for drama series. And most recently, she was in Oprah Winfrey's the haves and have-nots. Well, Wikipedia speaks for itself, as I said. Not super famous, but still a decent job. I mean, obviously she wasn't winning no Oscar for her portrayal, but she was beautiful and she was believable, which is about all you needed, really, to be the leading woman in this movie. It is interesting that you said it, especially considering the star magnitude of everyone else. I mean, this is peak Eddie Murphy. Seriously. Uh, James Earl Jones. John Amos, Arsenio Hall, like, Louis Anderson has, like, five lines, and he does, like... Even Eric LaSalle. Eric LaSalle. Like, there are megawatt stars in this movie, and they have this unknown playing his love interest. I mean, 
And I guess that's kind of a, a really, if you think about it, kind of a rolling tradition with all the women in the movie. All the women in this movie are kind of unknowns uh, to the to the masses. I mean, we know them on site because of this movie, but there really aren't any, you know, very powerhouse women in this movie. But you know, it is what it is. Anyway, so on to the next category: things white people probably missed. Oh. Oh. This category is dedicated to the way we watch movies and the way other people watch movies. Number one on my list has to be all the natural hair. Yes. Oh my God. There ain't a weave in sight. Now, Vanessa Bell had a weave for sure. That was not all her hair. But it was a well done weave, so it doesn't count. But <laughs> for the most part, we're going to say 97% of the people in this movie beautiful glorious straight from the root of tuta tuta natural hair i noted down this might be an odd thing to notate but how pink is eddie murphy's bottom lip <laughs> i mean my man's bottom lip is super pink they like i don't know what he's using but he got it looking luscious yo he was Once again, these are things that other people would not notice. I mean, at all, at all. <laughs> right. Shout out to Eddie Murphy's bottom lip. I mean, I don't know if it still looked like that, but I mean, it was looking wet. <laughs> all right, let's move on to one of what's gonna be one of the hardest categories to choose from. Best line. Oh. Mm. Best line. All right, so let's let's just go off our nominees. Yep. Uh, my first nominee is in the beginning of the movie. They're having breakfast at the table. In walks Arsenio Hall. James Earl Jones says, "And what now, Simi?" <laughs> like this, the way he says it, you know, <laughs> his level of disgust, immediate disgust at him. That's my first contender. My next contender is right after that, the scene after they leave breakfast and they go on to train and they get into this conversation and Arsenio wants to know why Akeem wants a woman who rouses his intellect and his loins over a woman who literally just obeys his every command. And they talk about when you want a beautiful fool. And he says... That's the way powerful men have always been. It's tradition. Facts. That's such a, that's such a, like, I could go, we have a whole podcast just about that line, period. Because, again, this is in the 80s, and this is when you have all these powerful men, your Donald Trumps and your presidents and all these other people who just have these trophy wives. It was the era of the big cars, Rolex, and trophy wives, and there were no, not, I won't say no, but there were not a lot of women, powerful women, really voicing themselves like we have now with your Oprah's and your Ava DuVernay's and uh, Serena Williams and just powerful women that we have now. I mean, women in the 80s were literally just arm candy. It is interesting to note that Eddie Murphy's character was looking for something beyond that. Indeed. So, you know, a little bit of a minor step in progressivism uh, in this movie. Or Eddie Murphy looking for a strong, independent woman 
to actually build something with. So that's definitely a credit to his writing. If you didn't know, this movie was actually written by Eddie Murphy, and there's no one else credited. He wrote it. It's just it's written by Eddie Murphy. There's no one else credited with him. And I, 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 I wrestle with that idea because, in one hand, you kind of feel like, okay, maybe he's saying that he wants this, you know, beautiful intellectual woman to be progressive. But at the other hand, is like, is he saying it's because he knows that's what women want to hear, and he also wants men and women to see this movie? <laughs> but we'll we'll give we'll, we'll give the benefit of the doubt and say that you know he was being progressive. He has a number of daughters now, so it's like we'll, we'll give him the benefit of the doubt he and all say the he's all the daughters, and say that he was being progressive and and really putting the idea out there that a woman should not just be armed candy or not just be someone who obeys his commands and barks on command, but should also be intellectual and stand for something and can still be beautiful on top of that. So my next nominee for best line, this is probably my, this is one of my stronger ones. His mama named Clay, I'm gonna call him Clay. His mama called him Clay. <laughs> I'm gonna call him Clay. <laughs> I say this randomly Classic. to this day in all sorts of conversations. I could have used this line when we talked about things white people wouldn't get either. True. Because black people, I know, we use this line quite often. You can, I feel like you can say this with no context to a random person of color yes. that you don't know, and they will immediately know what you're talking about. Exactly. They know exactly what movie, what scene, who said it. Immediately. 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 In that same spirit, I'm going to add to that my next nominee for Best Line, and one of my favorites, and you got to say it right, I thought it was a trash. <laughs> <laughs> Which we also repeat endlessly. Yes. If you spend any time around our family, <laughs> that line is used multiple times a night. So many times. <laughs> Even where things that don't make sense. My next line is very close to that line in the movie. It is the Hugh Hefner on house. Yes! <laughs> Which I forgot about. And it's like, it's one of those ones that's like, there's so many good lines. But as soon as you hear, I wanted to be in... Eddie Murphy's brain when he wrote that line down. Oh. <laughs> I said, God, was the Hugh Hefner on high for the beautiful woman that he, he made. Said, Man can take the picture, but they can't make it. I'm talking Larry Flint, the Hugh Hefner, the Hugh Hefner on high. Like, I mean, that's, that's untouchable. Right? That's untouchable. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. I got to throw in. One from the the incomparable James Earl Jones, who has so many good lines. He's just he's just good. Period. As the king, we'll talk about that in a minute. But my favorite line from him is when he's talking to John Amos, and John Amos says, "You don't have enough money to buy my daughter." He looks him straight in the face and says, "The glorious nonsense." <laughs> <laughs> His eyes expanded like he was appalled that this man didn't think he could buy my all. Now, granted, he was already offering him two. He had started at $1 million. He was already up to $2 million. This man said he didn't have no money. He said, nonsense. nonsense. <laughs> I'm trying to be that rich, son. He was already giving away two mil like it was nothing. 
And the fact that whatever number he could conjure was nonsense into comparison to how much he could give him to buy another human being. He felt like he needed to compensate. What, what, what exactly happened that he needed to compensate? That, he, that two million dollars was going to do. That that his that his his son was working there. You got to pay him for his, his son working there. Oh my gosh, just just unbelievable. Just such a good line. Uh, uh, my next nominee is simply three words. He might. <laughs> How many of these lies are from the barbershop guys? <laughs> my other one is also from the barbershop. And this is another one we say a lot in my family. What is this, Velvet? <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to say I had it written down too. Like, I guess. <laughs> We're a big star beside it. Like literally, if anybody got anything fancy if on, you, if you put, if you touch, if you run your fingers over anything, it could be a dog, it could be somebody's head, it could be a bag, <laughs> it could be a leaf. Real rap, like I. That it's it's. That's a standard. That's so, a standard. So so now we have to narrow this down. What is your strongest <sighs> contender? And I will say my strongest contender. I, I think if I'm, if I'm throwing one into the ring for the championship, it's, it's going to be, I thought it was a trash. <laughs> <laughs> and you can't think about it without laughing. <laughs> because he's about to put a chicken bone <laughs> in a collection plate. <laughs> My strongest contender is still his mama called him Clay. I'm a call him Clay. And I think that's even funnier now because so many people have, you know, these names and then nicknames and then they Facebook name is something else. Like there are people on my Facebook, I don't even know their real name. I just know what their Facebook name is. You might only know their Instagram handle. It's like listen, what what did mama name him? What's the government name? Mama call him Clay. If it's Mama called Clay, I'm a call him Clay. I'm gonna Clay. In store. That's 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 my strongest. So y'all get at us. Let us know your favorite line. That's mine's. That's Danny's. Definitely got to vote on that one because I, I thought it was a trash. Makes me laugh all the time and endlessly. I just can't get over it. All right. So let's move on. To oh. Oh. I forgot one line, even though it's not my strongest contender. But I had to just shout this line out. He helped. Get again. <laughs> get off the I wrote that down, so I had to. Uh, I caught that late. I love how I love how he's a reverend, and he started off biblical. He's talking about Daniel. He talked about Joshua, and then he talks about Gilligan. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't know Gilligan was biblical. You know what I'm saying? I'm pretty sure Gilligan was in. Like I, I don't even think Gilligan was still on TV at that time. Like Gilligan was already off. It was already in syndication. Like <laughs> the only people who old people and people who stay home from school was watching Gilligan at that point. I didn't know Gilligan ever got off the island. Right. I know there was a movie that I seen once, and they got off the island, and then ended, ended up back with on them it. back on right. the island. I, I don't remember the whole plot of the movie. That's all I remember. Is they left the island, and they ended up back on that. My goodness. So, nevertheless, I had to get that line in there because it's also a contender. All right, we're gonna take a quick pause, real quick, for our paid sponsor. 
Our sponsor for this episode is Kajor Boutique, C-A-Y-J-O-R.com. As I said, ladies, if you're a plus-size lady, you know the struggle. You know that it's hard to walk into a Macy's or a JCPenney or something like that. You want to find something that looks good. You want to find something with a little bit of swag. You don't want to wear your grandma's clothes. You don't want to wear no of honor clothes. You want to wear something that makes you feel sexy, makes you feel good. Or if you're just looking for a lounge set or a jumper, Hit up Kajor Boutique, that's C-A-Y-J-O-R.com, run by the owner and operator, Ms. Blendine Mason. Hit her up online, also on Facebook. You can find clothes there that are fashionable and affordable. Like I said, I own two of her dresses. Not even, not even exaggerating. Every time I wear them, I get nothing but compliments. If you're looking for something to go out on the town, hit up Kajor Boutique. Right. So I just want to have a, a general conversation. This is just general stuff. General stuff, just stuff that we picked up when watching the movie and maybe we didn't catch before. Not necessarily in a category, but it's just like I did not notice this last time or just something that you just want to talk about. Just general stuff. Alright, so my first point just after watching I mean, I think I've seen this movie no less than a hundred times. But watching it in 2019, I still have to say the soundtrack bangs. 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 Now wait, now I got a question for you. Okay, talking about the soundtrack. If we're talking about movie songs movie songs about america are you taking coming to america or are you taking living in america somebody the great dreams brown from rocky see coming to america is blacker that's like a that's a black song like even even if it sounds very 80-ish but it's a blacker song even though james brown is black <laughs> uh, his song is more universal. Okay. So if you ask me, I, I can't speak ill on anything Rocky related until you get to Rocky Five, which doesn't exist. Oh my God. But. Which will never be on this podcast. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick with the blacker song and say Coming to America. I, 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 I'm, I'm a, I'm a, I have to go with Living in America, one, because it's the only song I remember somebody shouting out Pittsburgh like we mattered. And two, it's the only one of those two songs that I have on a Spotify playlist right now. <laughs> I don't have Coming to America on one of my playlists right now. You probably will now if we heard I that probably the movie. Will. I probably will add it, Banks. Not gonna lie. Just, just in general, the music throughout, like the subtle music they mm-hmm. play during the scenes, it's perfect. Yeah. Uh, the the African uh, music at mm-hmm. the beginning, yeah. even when the, the intro, yeah. when they're like flying through the country, like yeah, uh, the music that they dance to during mm-hmm. the, the the wedding, like it's everything's. Fine. It really drives a lot of the points of the movie because I feel like if you played certain snippets of those songs, like when you if you played that African musical opening when they're flying over Zamunda like they did in Black Panther, just you know that that's the opening of the movie. Or when they play that twelve piece orchestra music when he's waking up, like you know that that's that wake up song. Yes. Or like when you play. I'm gonna change my wake up song today. Right. That would be amazing. 
And then when they play the like really like heavier beat when Vanessa Bell Cowley's about to come out with the drum dance, like it's such a good song. And then when they play the song when uh when James Earl Jones gets to America and he's about to get out of the car, you're like, oh, it's about to it's about to go down. Daddy's here. Like every musical scene from that movie just really visually in your mind brings back a point. So the huge shout out to the music in the movie for sure. All right, your your next one. My general point. Now, just a disclaimer to this point. You have to understand in our family there's very large dynamic of the light skins versus the dark skins. This is an endless battle. It will never end. However, we do say it with love. We do say it with jokes. So nobody take any of this seriously. Anyway, disclaimer over. How did Eddie Murphy leave the gorgeous, the chocolatey, Vanessa Bell Calloway for Sherry Hedman. Come on, son. His dad set him up with beautiful, gorgeous, chocolatey black woman. He said, this is, this is the woman I want for my only son to lead my country with when I die. See, this is where you dark folks just went wrong. Okay? <laughs> if that's your angle, you already went wrong. Because Sherry Headley is better looking in this movie. What? What? If you want to attack us light skits. Listen. Via this movie, your your only direct line of attack is Eric Lassette. <laughs> you need to take your light skin blinders off. Vanessa Bell Calloway is gorgeous in this movie. This is no disrespect to Vanessa Bell Calloway. She is, she is gorgeous. Beautiful. Sherry Hadley got her beat this movie. No, 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 Listen. Listen. Sorry. If Vanessa Bell Calloway was still queen right now, she would still be better looking than Sherry Hadley is right now, and I will put I don't know what they look like right now. We're talking about in this movie. Sherry Hadley looked better. Lies. Lies. But I will shout out the fact that the casting director made it a point to have John Amos's daughters to one be a light skin and one be a dark skin because it's very near and dear to our heart and our family. It's generational in our family that there is one light skin and one dark skin in our family. It's generational. It's how our family is. We Four straight it. generations. Four generations of it. So shout out to the casting director for really just showing the the, the eclectedness of black families. We come in all colors. All colors, all shapes, all sizes. But yeah, you know what I'm saying? Huh? Sherry Headley, delicious. <laughs> Eric LaSalle, you embarrassed us. Oh my God. Let's talk about Eric LaSalle for a minute since we're talking about the disgrace of light-skinned people. <laughs> Do we even have to claim him? He seems more caramel. Oh, no. Don't be no, 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 Don't be, don't be trying to put him in the gray area. <laughs> now, maybe by ER, he was a little, definitely a little bit more brown by then, but he was still young. He comes to America. That nigga was like skipped with a T. See, but see, like, what I feel like is like, you know what I'm saying? I don't know. He wasn't Drake, but he was definitely Chris Brown. He was... I'm so embarrassed. <laughs> Listen, okay, so Eric Sal's trash. He's a trash person. 
He lied about putting money into the collection basket, tried to play it off as him. And then when Samuel L. came into the restaurant, this dude was hiding behind a woman. Like, talking about, oh, I would have helped you, but I was holding coffee. Nigga, coffee is 10 cents. So that's from Samuel. They fit like, they was hitting all the stereotypes of light skins. Oh, my God. You know what I'm saying? Like, they called it soft. <laughs> this nigga was hiding behind a woman. He was soft and pretty and rich. Yeah, he was pretty. He was riding around in the red uh, firebird. <laughs> that's how you know this movie was written by a dark skin person. Yeah, man. <laughs> He had on all these. He had on that that triple uh, triple fat goose coat, yo. <laughs> the the red fringe. Yeah, this with the red leather gloves. This nigga had a scarf built into his coat when they went to the basketball game. <laughs> then he was he was all pretty, and then he just tried to just do some nonsense, like just assuming, just telling her daddy that they they was getting married, like because he ain't had so, the balls. To actually ask her. No, that was him being so arrogant in his light-skinnedness. Yeah, I'm saying like I'm. A- he was like, "There's no way, I'm rich, I'm light-skinned, I'm pretty. There's no way this woman is going to say no. So I'm just going to jump that part and be like, we already get married.' She said yes. So. No shout outs to the character played out. <laughs> so I feel like you set us back at least ten years after this movie. Oh yeah. my gosh. And this was like the this this was definitely the era of the dark skins. You had to come to Mary Eddie Murphy was on top, Wesley Snipes was on top. Like this was this was our time. This, this was, was our late, time. This was the late eighties. This was the down like you know, like they always tell us that light skinned niggas had a run in the eighties. I I was a baby, so I wouldn't know about that. But apparently we had a run. No, y'all were and then the it 90s ended. when Elder Barge and them came out. Elder Barge is the 80s. That's all yeah, 80s. Yeah, late man. 80s. That's what I'm saying. Our run was in the 80s. This and, movie and came out This movie 85? came out 88. Oh, okay. This movie came out 88. So by the time this movie came out, I'm, I'm going to go out and say, this was the end of our run. <laughs> Eric LaSalle ended our run here. <laughs> I will fully agree with that. And we will put that on his tombstone. Like man, you you owe the whole light skin delegation an apology for your acting. You shouldn't have took this part. Oh, you know what I'm saying you set us back, bro. That's all I'm saying. So one of the other things that I love that the rewatchables does and we're gonna steal is something that's aged the worst. And there's a couple things to me that aged the worst in this movie, mainly just in theory. Nothing, nothing about the movie itself really aged the worst because the movie is still a classic there's so many good things about it but just kind of some of the theories quote unquote in the movie that kind of aged the worst one of the things i was thinking of is the theory that you have to get in good with the father first for the woman to fall for you that is that is aged terribly that's not super yeah true. yeah I ain't even asked my father-in-law. <laughs> that's, I mean... I literally met him after we was married, bro. That's what I'm saying. That, yeah, that's... Having that's, said that, I got two daughters. And if you don't come to me, I'll kill you. <laughs> <laughs> Put it out there. Put it out there. And the other, in the same kind of vein is that something else that has to kind of age the worst is really, in actuality, Akeem and Lisa only went on two dates. They went... To the restaurant in which they made out on the first date which is not too risque you know now but in the 80s it probably was and the second date they went to the museum and then she was at his house talking about but i want to yeah, gave she, him 
full consent to the draws. Yes, sir. On day two. No me too here. <laughs> no. She full straight up consented to the D on the second day. And after that, they got married. Like, okay. <laughs> I mean, if you if you think about it from where it came from, that's progress, though. Because they had arranged marriages. So a nigga... Having two dates? That's progress. Yeah, for him, but not for her. She's still an American black. How long was she dating Daryl? They went on at least four dates within the movie. They was at the Black Awareness Rally. They had the date in the restaurant. They went out somewhere when he threw the milkshake at him. They went to the St. John's game. They had a minimum four dates in the movie. We don't even know what their history was before then. Because Eric Marcel messed up so bad for light skins, yo. She completely went away from us. She just jumped two feet. And married a goat herder in Africa. <laughs> Shut us back, bird. And I got to think that goes back to what we were talking about. about just I feel like Lisa has what I call Lois Lane syndrome. Because there were so many signs that this nigga was a prince. That he was not who he said he was. And just the way he spoke. The, how educated. This dude was, quote, Nietzsche. And he t- this nigga took her to a museum. He works at McDonald's. Well, see, that goes into my point about what age the worst. Because I feel like this story just can't happen in 2019. No, absolutely not. Because as soon as she seen him at the game and the guy was, I cannot believe it. She's going to pull out her phone. And she's going like, she's going to be Googling him. She's going to find out who he is. Way before James Earl Jones shows up to our house in 2019, so what's aged the worst is that this 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 story just could not happen in our era. Completely not, and it's interesting because it is it's been rumored for a while, but now it's completely confirmed that Coming to America Two, the sequel, is happening. Eddie Murphy signed on, Arsenio Hall has signed on, Sherry Headley has signed on. And then Ruth Carter, the amazing, the glorious, the fantastic Ruth Carter, who did the costumes for Black Panther, Oscar-winning Ruth Carter, is doing the costumes for Coming to America 2. So this movie is not only casted, but moving full steam ahead. So I'm so interested. I was against it initially, just as a knee-jerk reaction. I was like, they can't do that. It's movie classic. But we're in the age where nothing's impossible. Things are going to happen. And so it just is what it is. But outside of that, once they signed Ruth Carter, I was fully excited because the costumes in this movie are so beautiful. Oh, and that's definitely one of the things that have aged the best. Literally every single outfit in this movie, other than the denim dress that Lisa wears at the end, because that's terrible. I actually liked her dress. No, it's terrible. <laughs> it's completely awful and terrible. I didn't like Eddie Murphy's jeans. Well, but even the jeans, you can still restyle those. It's not like you can't wear those now. And his Bill Cosby's. But even that, even in, in an appropriate setting, if you're maybe going to like a, a work function or something like that, like those things can't, there's nothing in this movie that just can't be rewarded. Like, no, you can't wear that now. But just some, especially the African costumes when they're in Zamora. Oh, yeah. Fire. Just, just so gorgeous. That, that scene. Oh, man. At the beginning of the wedding when. Uh, James Earl Jones is in the seat, mm-hmm. and the mom is next to her. Mm-hmm. And Oha, and Eddie Murphy, and Antonio uh, Arsenio. Arsenio Hall. They're all standing there, and then the, the, the black. They're dancing like it is black excellence. Everyone is clean Definition for the wedding. Everyone, they got the liquor in the hand. Like it's 
It's false. It, it truly, it truly is, and just very awesomely created by our black royalty. Jay Z and Beyonce did it a few years ago with Blue Ivy, and I just thought it was such a great idea. But yeah, that the, the costumes are definitely one of the things that's along with the soundtrack, just age the best, timeless costumes just look so, so, so good. Now my other thing that has aged the worst is John Amos's hairline. <laughs> R.I.P. John Amos. Like, his hairline <laughs> is sitting on his cerebral cortex. Here. Like, <laughs> if you don't know what that is, Google what part of your head that is. It is so far back. Like, I thought Stephen A. Smith's oh. hairline was pretty far back. Oh, yeah. My man's hair, like, you yeah. can't even see. There, but it's shaped up, it's shaped too. Up. Like, it's, shaped up, it's shaped up and sheened. <laughs> so, that has not aged well. Oh, my gosh. I, I was not old enough to really remember how everyone was really rocking their hair in 88. Cause I was five. My mom was still cutting my hair at that point. But um, it's not aged well. Like, it's mm-hmm. just... No shout outs to his hairline. In general, back to just uh, general stuff, I do kind of wonder if they could have did this movie in another city. New York in the 80s like, has such its own personality, its, its own reputation. The dirt, the graffiti on the subway, people just being nasty in general, people stealing and like... I feel like, and, and people say this a lot in other movies, like with Sex and the City, that New York is its own character. Like the, the atmosphere that 80s, specifically 80s New York brings to this movie is is really its own element. And I don't think it could have been done anywhere else. I, I, I fully agree with that. I fully agree. Like it's like even at the end when, when the king shows up and they're also disgusted about where Akeem is living. Mm-hmm. Like, Queens and Brooklyn now have been so gentrified and even dirty. <laughs> right. <laughs> and they wouldn't be appalled at their son living there now. Not at all. So, uh, it, it definitely would not have the same uh, feel without it being uh, pre-Giuliani. Totally. <laughs> 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 I mean, he wasn't, I mean, black people, we certainly have our issues with Giuliani, but he, you know, it, the city is different since he was mayor. Truly. General question. How much money does Semi spend to update their apartment? This nigga had a jacuzzi. How did they get it in the door? A TV. How did he do this in the same day? Art. Like, he was drinking champagne. He had time to do this. And they still made him go to work. They were at work that day. He's like, you're still going to work and you're going to clean the apartment. So they went to work. And this nigga had time to order a hot tub, have it delivered, installed, and filled. Delivered, installed, and filled. And he, they had the apartment painted, cleaned out. Oh, it was definitely painted. Contracted, like, drywalled, all that stuff. Like, see, this is this to me is the power of money. If you have enough money, you can have enough people get all the things done that you need done while you at work. And you're just gonna come home to a whole new place. But I just I can't even imagine. How much it costs him to get that done? <laughs> that was just a random question I had. So my question is this. And I know we have a category where movies are considered romantic comedies. But is this movie really actually just a love story that happens to be funny? Or is it a comedy that has a love story tied to it? 
because I think there's two different types of romantic comedies. There are comedies that just happen to have a love interest, and then there are love stories that happen to be funny. I definitely don't, I definitely would not consider this a love story first. Like, the the love story happens, and it's a big part of the moving pieces. But I don't think, I don't think of this as a love story first. When people think of love story, I think of The Notebook, The Fault in Our Stars, even Boomerang, really. Because that, to me, that whole movie, he was trying... I will reference Boomerang endlessly. P.S. If you don't already know this about me. Well, that's going to get to it. I'll get to it later. <laughs> but, like, when I think of romance movies, you think of that immediate couple or that immediate story of how they fell in love and how they became this amazing couple that you wanted to be with or that you wanted to watch how they fell in love and, you know, what they did for each other that made it so special. I don't consider that this. It happens in the story. But this is... To me, this story overall, first and foremost, is a comedy. And then secondly, to me, this movie is just a shining example of black excellence. Like, I think that's a that should be its own category. Like, comedy, comma, black excellence, comma, romance. <laughs> it's like when we all shirt the Black Panther with our African garb. Oh, my gosh. Like... Completely, completely that. And I think that's what made Black Panther so successful was that there hadn't been this, even in their case, action, comma, black excellence, comma, romance, comma, because, you know, it was romance in there. But it, it was just that that whole, there, there was no example, no, I won't say no, but there wasn't as big an example of black excellence it, since Black Panther, you know, when it came out, it just came out at such a good time. It just, it was just so overwhelming, and the comparisons between Coming to America and Black Panther would just be endless. But um, it just, it just made you feel good. It made you feel proud. It made you really just embrace everything that was happening. It's definitely on the list for the future. For sure, for sure. All right, another just general stuff. Has James Earl Jones had a better role in a movie? Now, does the Lion King count? That was gonna be the that was the subset of that question because if you count the Lion King, you also have to count Star Wars because he's the voice of because Darth he's the Vader. voice of Darth Vader and he is the voice of Mufasa, two characters in which if someone said you know. Name ten, you know, movie characters. I one of those two is going to come up in in anyone's top ten because there's such massive characters, and you cannot overlook the fact that he played both of them. So I'm going to say my answer is this: If this was just a general rewatchables, it would probably be Mufasa or Darth Vader, but because this is the black rewatchables <laughs> as a black man. When I think of James Earl Jones, I will always think of him first and foremost as King Joffrey Joffrey. And I, okay, so I, I'm, you know, I, I, I'm one who often loses my black points. And I'm a huge Star Wars fan. Absolutely. A hundred percent. But when someone says James Earl Jones, the first thing I think of 
is Mufasa. But I've also had this continuing notion that I stand behind that The Lion King is a black movie. Anywho, but in general stuff, 23 minutes, 23 solid minutes of movie without seeing a white person. And to me, an 80s movie with a majority black cast, first of all. And a white director. And a I white know. director, too. John, John Landis. Landis. Shout out to John Landis for being invited to the cookout. Yes. <laughs> white director. And you don't see a white person for almost a whole half hour. Almost a whole half hour. You don't even see one. You don't even have a line. There's no one in it. And for that to happen, as, as we said, right smack in the middle of the 80s when there's Rambo and Stallone and that's the same person. Schwarzenegger is Schwarzenegger is what I was thinking of. And so it's just like for, you know, to go so long without even seeing a white person in this movie. Just, just, there's so many things about this movie I love. So one of our very last categories, one of my favorite questions whenever we thought about this idea. What is the blackest thing that happened in this movie? Some nominees. My very first nominee for what's the blackest thing that happened in this movie. Stu. Falling down the steps to avoid <laughs> paying his rent. Your rent, stupid motherfucker. <laughs> it's such a small scene in the movie. But this dude throws himself down the steps to avoid paying his rent. <laughs> I can't even. I can't even. For me, my first nominee is more just a shout out. But it's really just a shout out to whoever is singing that Soul Glow song. Oh my gosh! <laughs> I don't know how that nigga was hitting them notes, yo. Oh my I can't God. even mimic that. Just let And you know what he said after that. I, I can't. Shout out to that dude. Whoever he is. That, that's a huge That's a huge black move. First of all, black people love niggas that can hit high notes. Yes. <laughs> Second of all, niggas love Jerry Curls. You don't see no white people walk around the Jerry Curl. That was us. The Jerry Curls themselves might be the blackest move in this movie. That, that's, that's a, that might be a, a, a high contender for sure. For sure. I, 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 I've never seen a white person with a jerk curl. Just saying. Alright, your next nominee. Next nominee is going to be two 20-year-old women still live with their dad. Why don't they have their own place? Because they're daddy rich. So, the world should have been moved out there. Both of them is extra. They both live with their dad. Maybe they because the mom died, right? No, no. They are marrying age. Maybe they was waiting to get married. And well. it's not that they, they didn't have the money. They both work for their dad. You know they get paid they all right. <laughs> they get paid all right. Why they still love their dad? Fear. My next nominee is the University of the United States. <laughs> and more importantly, the point of niggas just making stuff up. <laughs> like, like we just can't really just be truthful <laughs> at some point too. It just shout, kept going with it. Shout out to the university. Which school do you go to? The university. Which one? Of, of the United, United States. States. That's a nigga moment, yeah. We just, niggas, we gonna push the lap. Niggas just making up stuff to sound educated or to sound better than they actually are. Shout out to the University of the United States. I got my t-shirt on right now. Yes. It says, it is a very small university. We and don't even have a basketball team. They even have a picture <laughs> of Prince King on the shirt. 
There was no way I wasn't wearing my Coming to America t-shirt today. It definitely was happening. I don't know. I, I think Blackest Moments got to go to Stu. <laughs> I, I, my other nominee is just Randy Watson. <laughs> no, 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 no. Randy cannot be nominated. <laughs> Okay, so everything about Randy Watson. Yeah. That was going in, in in the last category, which is over actor. I have two nominees for over actor, and Randy's going to win. But the other nominee is the concession stand guy who meets Akeem in the line for the men's room. This dude, I is, cannot believe it. It's so over the top. Okay, so okay, so if I was at a basketball game. In line for the bathroom, and I saw Michelle Obama. Nigga, I'm gonna be so excited out of my mind, but in no way am I gonna act like the concession dude bowing and taking a picture, kissing her hand, and like, oh my god, he did the most. He did the most. But Randy Watson. I mean, you could go with the the main barber in the barbershop too, telling the story about oh Dr. Dr. King punching him in the chest. Joe Lewis being 137 years old. <laughs> oh, oh, I didn't even write that down. Oh my gosh! Just just between him and Randy, which both characters, if, if you're you know an idiot, you don't know that they're both played by Eddie Murphy. Just I'm just. Yes. Which, when we get to the the final category of who won this movie, is going to be a, a, a serious debate. But two of the biggest characters of this movie, the main barbershop guy and Randy Watson, both played by Eddie Murphy. Who for biggest over actor? I think I got to go to the barbershop guy. Don't lose a hundred thousand years old. And I have a Randy Watson T-shirt. Right. right. I get that's, that's yeah I, yeah yeah no barbershop guys gotta get it it's just every every single scene he's in is at a thousand got you good good, good Christian girl you got the little gold tooth he's grinning like that every scene every scene is a Hilarious. thousand percent with gasoline on it so yeah definitely barbershop guy all right so, so well before we get to who won the movie I have one last question now this movie made had a budget thirty nine million this movie made two hundred eighty eight million dollars. In America, and it's still only the sixth highest-grossing movie for Eddie Murphy. Sixth, and that's just in America. That's not worldwide, and that's not adjusted for 2019. That's what it made in 1988. So the question now becomes: Where does this movie rank in the Eddie Murphy pantheon? I knew you were going to do this. We've had this discussion many times over. And I'll, as as usual, I will always have two answers. To me, there's a distinct, no, hard, concrete line no. between what is the best and what is my favorite. If you ask me what is the best Disney movie, my answer is The Lion King. If you ask me what my favorite Disney movie is, it's The Hunchback of Notre Dame. So if you ask me, shut up. If you ask me what my, the best Eddie Murphy movie is. I feel like everybody, I feel like this is what I have to give other people's answer would say Beverly Hills Cop because that was such a huge movie to white people and black people and it made a lot of money. It had a bunch of sequels. 
Beverly Hills Cop is in no way my favorite. It's not even in my top five, if I'm being honest. When we talk about favorite movies, you already know my number one is Boomerang. My number two is Coming to America. So I have Coming to America as his best, and it's my favorite. <laughs> it's that simple. It's just, I just, go, Coming to America was, was not well critically received like a lot of the a lot of the critics reviews were not that good and not to say that that's the end all be all because we all know that's true but i'm just saying like if you ask a random person on the street name three eddie murphy movies i guarantee you beverly hills cop is gonna be one of those three this now, is the black rewatchables it is it is and that's why i have to differentiate there's a line there that's why there's a rewatchables and there's a black rewatchable because if it's on the rewatchables i'm pretty sure at some point they might do beverly hills cop but i guarantee you they're not doing boomerang yeah they're not doing boomerang. <laughs> they're definitely not doing boomerang they might not even do coming to america they might not even do coming to america so it just it is what it is anyway so that's that last category who won the movie this is the person, and this can only be one person, we both have to agree, who came out on top from this movie. Who was the best actor, who had the best legacy, who literally just won this movie. If you were going to put a number one ribbon around their neck and give them a gold trophy, who won this movie? The easy answer is Eddie. Because he's Eddie, he's a star, he plays multiple characters that are Randy Watson, the barbershop guy, the white guy in the barbershop is Eddie Murphy too, but I'm not always about that easy life. And I am here to present the case that the person who won this here movie was in fact Arsenio Hall. I just knew James Earl Jones was coming out of your mouth. Okay, Arsenio I need, Hall. I need to hear. I need to hear a case for this. Here's the case. He is the comic relief throughout this movie. From the first moment he walks in and gets cussed at by James Earl Jones, to him yelling uh, when he shows up at the end, to him spitting out the, the drink at the bar, to him also playing the preacher, to him also being. His mama called him Clay. I'm going to call him Clay in the barbershop. I thought it was trash. That's all Arsenio Hall. This is his apex. This is his peak. You have never had a higher moment where Arsenio Hall, this man even had his own show for five or six years. This is peak Arsenio Hall. This is what we will remember him by when he passes. We will talk about this movie and his show. This is his peak. He won this movie. There's my case. Now, I, as, as you were talking, you couldn't see me, but I was sitting over here nodding, contemplating, agreeing for the most part that all of those are true and valid facts. All of those. However, my rebuttal to Arsenio Hall winning the movie is the fact that when, even though he does have some of the best lines, when people talk about, you know, Mom called Clay, I'll call Clay, or I thought it was trash. It's not immediately associated with Arsenio Hall. It's immediately associated with coming to America. It's not like, oh, remember Arsenio Hall said XYZ, blah, 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 blah. It's not. It's just, this was said in coming to America. It was hilarious. 
regardless of who said it, it didn't matter. It didn't matter that it was specifically him. Now, just out of general courtesy, I won't say Eddie Murphy because I do believe he wouldn't. He wrote it. He was in it. He's a bazillion characters. This was the height of his career. To me, he is the clear winner. But if it's not Eddie. Yeah, that's the right. I was just trying to pick somebody other. If it's name. not Eddie, it's still not Arsenia. If it's not Eddie, it is definitely and unequivocally James Earl Jones. No. <laughs> yes. <laughs> he's, he's phenomenal in this movie. Even phenomenal. In, even including Eddie. You, you Who is the funniest person? You yourself movie? said that when you think of James Earl Jones, the first character you think of. Is King Joffrey Joffrey. This is hit. This is his face in the movie playing character Apex. Not vocal. None of that. Him in a movie. This is his Apex. And he will never have a greater character than this. That's the same case. Fantastic for it. He's a fantastic. He is fantastic. Whole movie. His jovialness. His pure delight at being a king and being excited for his son about to get married and finding the right wife for him through the first like 30 minutes of the movie is so effing good and then to flip the switch after he gets to New York and be so inflamed <laughs> is disobeying him and trying to find a wife and working a job and it's like this dude is tripping I gave him 40 days to sow his world oath and he's out here wilding I'm about to sock this dude James See, my counterbottle to your case is the fact that he is not in the movie for a solid middle 45 to 50 minutes. I'll give you that. And it's hard to say somebody won the movie when you're not in the entire middle of the movie. And my, my point with Arsenio is that I can make a case that he's the funniest person in the movie, including Eddie. I can make a strong case Hold that he's the now. funniest person. Hold up now. Crossing lines, lines of being between crossed. Simi and the characters he plays, he—I can make the case that he might be the funniest person in the movie. You could roll the dice. I'm just saying, there's a case to be made that he's the funniest person in this movie. I got. Okay. No. 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 <laughs> no. <laughs> That's. I'm just saying. If but, I but, say okay. it, it's not. It's no, not no, an insane no. idea. The only, the only, okay, the only advantage that he would have to claim it to be the funniest person in the movie is because he's written as the comic relief in a comedy. So it's like he has that event. He's supposed to be funny every time. He doesn't have a serious scene in the movie. He's supposed to be funny. I'm just saying. Like Eddie still has to. Eddie has to be funny. It still hold down the story and keep the storyline going and be a love interest and just run the whole thing because he wrote it. So that's not really fair, I think, to say that he's a funny because he's only supposed to be funny. James Earl Jones is not supposed to be funny. He's not a comic relief, but he is funny and he is great and he goes such a great. You believe you believe that James Earl Jones is somewhere right now. Running an African country. It's fair. <laughs> it's fair. We stand in our saying. cases. Let us know what y'all think. We need a tiebreaker because I, I will stand on this. I still believe in my case. 
we, we presented our cases. Y'all let us know who you think, or if you think somebody else won. You might think Oha won the movie, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> maybe John Amos won the movie, you know what I'm saying? Who knows? So whoever you think, or you just want to just give it to Eddie, because he's the easy answer, because, you know, you know, it's his movie. So let us know. All right, y'all, that's our show. This has been the Black Rewatchables. I am Danielle Edmond. I am Charles Edmond. We are brother and sister. Don't get it twisted. We're not married. <laughs> Shout out my wife. <laughs> probably sleep. Shout out to my sister-in-law. <laughs> but this has been so much fun. This was an idea. Once again, we've got to give an homage to the rewatchables and the ringer for giving us this idea. We love the show, but you know what? It needed a little blackness. Shout out to our other partners on the NDD podcast fam. Mike Collins, Jermaine Allen. Probably hear from them soon on a future episode. So. Definitely looking to get that back up. But for now, thank you so much for tuning in to the Black Rewatch Podcast. Yo.